0: the listeners welcome back to on season two and i'm your host bj so here we are at the third episode of season two i'm happy to welcome everyone like the past two episodes certainly had a huge impact on people around in terms of vcs and a lot of startup founders were really appreciating me on the effort that i put towards each and every episode and they love the content thank you so much for all the support out there guys This actually keeps me so much more motivated and just be consistent. That is what is important for me. So before starting every episode, we usually have the chit chats about the book, right? So this season we were talking about the book, Don't Believe Everything You Think. And here today at the chapter three, why do we even think of the first time? The previous chapter, I've said that thinking is a root cause of all the suffering. So why do we even think? That's right. Why do we even think? I don't know. I never thought about this. Our mind has an incredible job. It is just designed to help us survive. Okay. That's the only prior thing our brain is concerned about. Our mind is concerned about. It's our safety and survival. But not our fulfillment or joy. The mind's job is to alert us for a potential danger and this is alerting us because of the past experiences and the backlogs we had. It starts to you know analyze and do all the calculation and it starts to provide us some dangerous or some unwanted future predictions. These are just based on our memory okay there's nothing wrong with it because it's our mind and it's just designed to do that job and it's our consciousness that has to keep us fulfilled it's our soul that is making us have this journey this beautiful earth both consciousness and soul have their place to find peace love and joy for us your mind has done an amazing job but you know yes we lived in a stone age where your mind has to think only about survival and your mind is built upon it and now we're not living in that state right so you can free your mind off of it if we keep using our mind we'll constantly stay in this state of fight or flight anxiety fear frustration depression anger resentment and all negative emotion because the mind thinks everything is a threat to our existence so the only solution is if you want to be free happy peaceful you know have full of love then you will need to let go of listening only to your mind and go beyond it by turning into something much greater that will help you not just survive but to thrive so yes don't just listen to your mind listen to your heart soul and your consciousness that's so important and now it's time to get into our episode (music) Hi, Sartek. Welcome to the show. How is everything going on from your end?
1: Very well, Puja. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So a quick intro about Sartek to the listener. He did his bachelor's at Washington University. He then worked at geo HGFC, EY, and Red Briggs, like the top tier companies and so on so it's very impressive that you have returned back to India and you founded your company experimental advisory and then you you were the founding member of venture folks then you become an angel investor that doesn't stop you over there and you're now a associate vice president at huddle which is funding the early stage startups and looking at your portfolio it was so impressive to have like you backed up 20 plus startup investments that's that's a lot of things to be achieved in a very small amount of time after finishing your bachelor's having so much you know courage to take that first step forward but before moving further this podcast will be in two segments so one will be talking about pre-seed investment and the other will be about the angel investment so now let's get into you talk me through the journey, your entire journey. And please do mention also about why did you shift back to India? Because most people who didn't do that and you took the courage after finishing, you just moved back to India. Just talk me through it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So a um, little bit of a history lesson or more context as to what you'd mentioned. I you know, I come from a finance background. So I did my economics uh, from University of Washington in Seattle. Um, I was there for about given give or or take five or six years, Um, I think, uh, you know, the reason why I came back was, uh, you know, multifold, right, that uh, I come from sort of this lineage of entrepreneurs and I always wanted um, to sort of build for Bharat, right, and uh, those were sort of my motivations. Um, I'm super patriotic and I'm super uh, sort of, you know, at some point you have to align yourself with a certain fundamental. And uh, I guess that was sort of generally what my motivation was, right? I can't tell you that in 2020, a month before the pandemic, I knew what I, what I was about to get into, right? So I actually got into uh, the venture ecosystem about a month and a half before the pandemic, um, which was vastly different from what it was during the pandemic and now after the pandemic, right? I think, um, so yeah, I mean, I was I was in Seattle for quite some time. Uh, i did um i did work there i did i did pretty much everything there uh but made a conscious decision to come back um you know little known fact i don't know if it's, uh, if, it's if it comes across uh, when you go through my linkedin or not but you know i do want to be a founder uh, at some point and i think uh you know that motivation will will sort of still stick around with me uh, i still think that i'm you know imposter syndrome is quite real even if you're like really into uh, what you're doing, right? And I think my motivation was always to learn the venture side so I can, you know, hack my way into like being a successful founder. And perhaps that happens at some given point later in the future, or or I don't know, that was <laughs> generally the motivation. Yeah
0: studying is different but actually getting into it is completely different but what created that spark and the inspiration at the first hand you know getting into pre seed investing and angel investing
1: yeah i think i think uh, you know roughly i was super curious about how um you know the venture ecosystem in in india was changing right and this is a it is a direct comparison to how india sort of follows suit uh to the western ecosystem right whether you're talking about uh, you know, European legacy venture ecosystem, or you know, even the Silicon Valley uh, side of things, right? India's always uh, sort of been in and around uh, that space, and you know, we're we're just about starting to catch up uh, with respect to uh, you know number of investments or the amount of money that's been invested. So I was super curious about uh, about that, and I kind of you know went to break into venture capital is its own sort of uh, uh, you know uh, I could write a book about it, right? But um, the way I thought about it was um, if I just find the right folks, if I just find the right uh, uh, you know fund to sort of enter, um, I could get the right experience from me uh, as a founder right So my motivations like I said were slightly different but um, uh, you know the entrepreneurial sort of edge uh, really pulled me through to where I am today um, and I'm still learning right it's it's not like, uh, I got through and I'm just, you know, spending a lot of the monies that my LPs have given us. I think it's 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 a function of constantly learning, building on a certain amount of understanding, etc. So I don't know if that was a very long-drawn answer to your question. But um, yeah, I think I got through to pre, pre-seed seed uh, because I wanted I want. to. <laughs> got it.
0: And,
1: and because I kind of sort of manifested it in a certain way
0: how much did networking help you to get started be it on linkedin or getting to know other people what methodologies did you use in terms of reaching out to people
1: to sort of break into venture capital um you can't rely on an existing skill set of course that does uh, uh sort of give you an edge uh with respect to uh, you know where you're looking to enter but your resume only goes so far um it's it's really how you demonstrate uh, your ability beyond your resume, and a lot of times, personal networking uh, uh, does play a big role. Um, I, I incessantly uh, uh, created lists of people that I wanted to reach out to over LinkedIn and otherwise. And um, you know, at least at that point in 2020, um, you know, the VC ecosystem in India was uh, still quite nascent. I, I wouldn't say it was, it was, uh, you know, it was where it is today. Um, so there's still a limited amount of funds, a uh, limited amount of people. And, and I was in Delhi uh, slash Gurgaon. Um, you know, there's there's obviously limited vicinity, et cetera, right? So it's just a function of zeroing in on, on places, getting a, getting through to, like, uh, a standard interview process, which is not standard at all, frankly, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, sort of going through multiple uh, rounds and, and really just demonstrating that, you know, this is just something that you're really sort of passionate about and really looking to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Breaking into venture capital is in itself uh, uh, quite hard across the world. Um, but uh, I think for anybody listening, my only advice would be if you're really, really looking to break into VC, um, you have to be systemic about it, right? You have to know uh, what uh, you know, where you're applying, who the portfolio companies are, who you're talking to, how many rounds there are going to be. Uh, you kind of have to be on... On the go and and really really sort of systemic systemic about it that's kind of how i went through it and and the rest is history
0: so now getting actually into the segment so my first and foremost mm-hmm. question is going to be what do you see as a red flag when you make an investment to the company
1: yeah that's a very broad but still fundamental question right um i think um personally for me it's and given the stage that we invest in um, which I I mean, people call it pre-seed, seed. I call it hilariously early, right? Everything's hilariously early when we're investing in it. Um, and I think at that point, uh, there's a lot of green flags, <clears throat> but then there's that one red flag uh, which can really topple things down. And personally for me, I think a lot of it is just founder due diligence, right? Um, at the stage that we're in, one of the biggest red flags or one of the biggest green flags, at the end of the day as founders, we're investing in people, we're investing in what they uh, uh, can execute at the end of the day. And and that's kind of, uh, you know, most of our decisions are make or break around, right? Um, so I think founder dualism is super important. The second, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a red flag, but a very important consideration is um, venture capital should really be about funding disruptive businesses, Uh, solving real problems. If the problem that you're looking to trying to solve is not a real problem, um, then that's a big red flag, right? Um, Why reinvent the wheel uh, is my question uh, to most people, right? Is this a good to have versus is this a must have? Are you trying to sell us a problem that we didn't know we had? Are you trying to create more problems by what you're looking to build, right? And often business models today are so riddled with um, complexities all around you know it, it's really like breaking it down to a five-year-old right and and those are just some nuances that we look for uh when we're trying to break it down right and and a lot of this is is riddled between jargon and metrics and you know your five-year projections and such but it's really about what the problem is today and how you're looking to solve it um is is the question and that's kind of how we center our green or red flags or Decisions around, yeah.
0: You were talking about, you know, the first point you mentioned is we look into the team and look up, look about their stories and so on. So, how important do you think is the team behind the startup, you know, when you're making that investment decision?
1: You're investing into people uh, that um, have a thorough understanding uh, of what they're looking to build, right? And and oftentimes, at least given my limited experience, what I've realized is that uh, you know the founders that have faced the problem themselves. Uh, are the ones that uh, go on to create truly disruptive businesses because their proximity to the problem that they're looking to solve is um, what drives uh, uh, exponential growth over the years. Right? If you're just looking to, if you're just, if you've just identified a problem that exists in the world and you have no way to sort of go about, uh, uh, and, and you've not faced it yourself and you have no way of sort of figuring out how to do it, uh, chances are you're not going to get funded, and chances are you're not going to go far, even if you do get funded. Right. Um, so I think I think the team plays a big role. Um, not just the founders, right? I just want to stress upon the fact that uh, the founders uh, should create an ecosystem and should create a founding team around them uh, where they can also uh, try and delegate. Because uh, you know, any any early stage founder listening to this knows that fundraising is a full time job, um, and and that often requires uh, you know. Uh, that often that often has the business not sort of focusing on what it's supposed to do, um, and and uh, you know that's kind of how we're looking at it when you say the importance of team, right? Um, those are just some of the basics that we're sort of after. I always suggest that my founders hire a founders office uh, or hire people in their founders office, right? Uh, chief of staff or uh, just a founder's uh, analyst or something, right? It it go- it really goes a long way into. Um, just g- their general bandwidth because um, founders have the tendency to uh, go after every problem uh, out there right and and that's not really what uh, uh, that's not the best use of overall efficient time right
0: you invested in an early stage startup but there after all the terms and everything are done There is a contradiction between you both. And what do you think will be your exit strategy? Or Have you experienced any such, you know, you can share your experience over here.
1: Disagreements between founders and investors is a daily uh, occurrence, right? Um, As early stage investors, we were very cognizant of the fact that we're not running the business at the end of the day um and and we make that relationship very clear at the beginning right that while we're super active in uh, as investors um uh, but at the end of the day the execution still lies with the founder um and and we have really uh, we, we don't really want to have any bearing on uh, business productivity uh, on on the execution front um so while there there may be differences uh, operationally uh, on operation decisions or even a uh, general, uh, uh, you know, growth uh, projections or trajectory. Um, it's 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 really just a function of trust and aligning uh, an investment decision when we know these things are are going to be healthy in nature, right? Um, yes, things can go wrong, and yes, uh, you know, for many investors out there, uh, things do go wrong, and and it's it's not just a function of founders, uh, or it's it's really just a function of market conditions, most for the most part. Um, i think in that case it's not a function of abandoning ship right um as as early investors i don't think anybody uh, should should you know just sort of abandon ship and take an exit and 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 the notion of exit in vc anyway has, has a very different uh, connotation right nine, 9 out of 10 bets in vc fail um so so it's it's, it's really not a, it's really not a function of hey i don't like this founder, let me take an exit right that really happens and and that really should happen um i think uh, most 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 exits are successful because they're exits in the first place.
0: Okay. In investing in a pre-seed, what is a typical range? Um,
1: you know, the term pre-seed didn't actually exist for like the longest time, I think. <laughs> I think it's just some, uh, you know, one of those terms that have just uh, propped up in, in the event of lack of, of capital, right? Uh, pre-seed is also called an angel round uh, for at least uh, that's how I look at it. Um, so there's your angel slash pre-seed rounds uh, and your seed rounds, right? Um, we kind of play in in the pre-seed to seed, sort of pre-A sort of playing field. Um, I guess, uh, uh, you know, with respect to check sizes, I think it really depends on the nature of the business. Uh, You know, throughout a, a, you know, a a blanket figure would be unfair, but um, I've seen seed uh, uh, check sizes go from, uh, you know, 1 million to 3 million to 5 million average. Uh, And I've seen pre-seed also go from, Uh, You know, 100k to 400k to 700k, right? Um, So, so I guess, I guess, uh, you know, you can't really say, and it, it, a lot of it has to depend on uh, what sector or what area that uh, that particular startup is is operating in. Um, Personally, for us, I think the sweet spot is, uh, you know, half a million dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of how we look at any entry point, right? And and whether it's pre-seed or seed or, or whatever, right? These are just sort of categorized names right Uh, they don't really mean anything at the end of the day you're raising around and you're raising your first or second check I like putting it as first or second check Uh, uh, so with that regard you know a a decent pre-seed check should always be you know it could be as little as uh, you know 100k it could be as high as uh, you know 700 800k but then you're also getting into like seed uh, territory, right? So you have to be very careful about what your next round is going to be. So a lot of maths uh, or, or round planning or round structuring has to be uh, met when you're raising those amounts. But if you're raising your first round, I think um, anything less than seven, 800 K uh, is, is okay. A blanket blanket statement, seven, 800 K should be fine.
0: As a pre-seed investor, what do you see too risky in terms of investing?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to burn any bridges by calling out sectors that I uh, personally don't understand or invest in, but I, I, you know, I I will, I will tackle it this way, right? Okay. Um, You know, the venture ecosystem is guilty of giving into trends and facts. Um, I think all of us uh, uh, at some point have inadvertently colluded into believing that this sector is going to be the next big thing uh, when uh, it may or may not be the case, uh, Right. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, for anybody uh, starting out in, in, you know, venture ecosystem and uh, really starting out investing in, in early stage founders, I think having a thorough understanding of uh, of the sector is very important. Um, like, for example, we invest a lot at Ardell, we invest in consumer businesses, right? Um, but we define consumer vastly different from everybody else. We think that consumer is not just your consumer brands, but it's also the retail side or it's also... Um, you know, the end side of how to fulfill an order that ends up going to the customer, right? Um, so we take this full stack approach to defining consumer. You know, a lot of people may not define it that way. A lot of people define it differently. A lot of, for a lot of the funds out there, it's just D2C brands or otherwise. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, having a thorough understanding of what you're investing in is important. Um, between 2021 and, and now, I guess there have been fads and trends uh, that have, come and you know come and gone um you know personally i've not developed an understanding of web3 or crypto uh just personally or even as a fund right and you know we've made a conscious decision to not invest in those startups because um we don't understand them right and if you're not and you know if you're not completely in sync with what's being built uh then it's not fair to use uh you know our capital to grow right because uh you know in 2021 people used to call capital a commodity uh, and it was really just what came with the capital uh, from your investors, right? How active are your investors, or, or or you know how how much they can help you? And we've always we've always taken that mentality, right? You can raise capital from ten different sources. You can take a bank loan today if you want to, um, but the expertise that comes along with the capital, the network, the access, uh, the know how, the the portfolio, the structure. The comfort, right? Uh, that's that's kind of what, um is, is is what we're sort of striving for. Um, so red flags or in you know uh, uh, sectors that we don't invest in are, are the ones that we don't thoroughly understand, and that's kind of the outlook that we take.
0: Do you have some tips for a stage startup, like as an investor? Like here are tips: people make mistakes here. Don't do this.
1: But I, I do. Want to want to state a disclaimer that uh, you know this is this is blanket advice. Please uh, you know, use your best judgment uh, as as possible. Right. Okay. So my only advice would be uh, to be resilient and not uh, not growth hungry to a point where it's unsustainable. Right. The time for unicorns is over. Right, be a cockroach if you want to. A cockroach can survive a nuclear holocaust, right? Uh, and I think there's a very famous quote from uh, 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 Ashish Hemrajani, who's the founder of Book My Show, right? Yeah. He said the very same thing that I just uh, mentioned, right? Uh, unicorns are mythical animals, right? I mean, they don't exist, right? Uh, be a cockroach. It's it's really it is the time to be a cockroach, right? Make sure that you're making payroll. Uh, make sure that you're making sure that uh, uh, you know your business is growing in a sustainable manner, uh, and and between 2020 and, and 2023, we've gone through recession. Uh, we're now also sort of going through uh, a semi-crisis uh, with SUV. Yes. Um, more on that perhaps uh, later. Um, but, uh, you know, it really just strengthens the notion of how uh, resilient and fundamentally uh, sound founders have to be, right? Um, and And always, always focus on unit economics, because beyond that, You're just burning money right um so make sure your startup lives to see another day uh because there'll be many days where um you know you you can enjoy your resilience that you've shown today um and this is very interesting sort of analogy that um you know over the last 30 40 years you know as they say right the tech party never gets over right It it only shuts down for a few hours till it's back up again right we're in that phase, you know, between 2 to 6 a.m. where nothing's really open. Um, so you might as well uh, just tread lightly and make sure you get home safe is, is how I would uh, create that picture for you if you want.
0: Great. So we're entering into this section two. That's the angel investment. You bagged up like 20 plus startups in your portfolio. Is there one story among this is very special to you?
1: Um. Yeah, there's there's a couple of them. Um. I have a soft corner for founders that um have like i said proximity to the problem that they're looking to solve right and i always look for uh founders that uh, are solving a problem which uh is nobody nobody's looking at it right but it's a, it's it's really uh, a very uh, a prominent problem out there so there's this one startup that uh, is part of our portfolio at heart called bold care now bold care is uh, truly fascinating they're, they're building india's uh, first uh, men's sexual wellness platform uh, in a country where um, you know sexual wellness is not prioritized yeah. uh, you know uh, there's no no real uh, sort of way uh, for folks to you know get access to uh, medication or or just general health advice right uh, they're looking to sort of switch things up um, in a way where they're creating a, a platform uh, to uh, service a large mass of people in need for it right because uh, that ecosystem or that infrastructure for wellness has not existed. Um, so to build build for those problems is, is kind of what um, you know excites me really and and you know uh, the founders have have proven to be super resilient and and have uh, showcased tremendous growth in the last uh, last few years. Uh, another such startup that comes to mind at least from our portfolio is perfora which is uh, again uh, a d2c oral care uh, startup uh, in a country where again oral care is not prioritized where the cancer capital of the country of the world uh, oral cancer uh, capital of the world and and um, you know very very poor hygiene sort of exists right and um, in a, in a in an ecosystem where only legacy brands have have been prominent um, here comes a startup which wants to revolutionize oral care. I mean, props to you for even tackling uh, a large, uh, uh, you know, problem statement—a large ecosystem which has. It, I mean, it's truly David versus Goliath, right? You're, you're up against somebody who's just used one toothbrush and one toothpaste for the rest of their lives, right? Um. Um. So, so I I guess again, this is another company which has seen tremendous growth uh, over the last uh, two to three years. This, they're approaching. They've just raised. Uh, you know. Uh, one of their larger rounds uh, recently, and uh, yes, I guess those are two two companies that really come to mind that we started off investing in them when they were, uh, I mean, they did not have a product, right? They were not earning any amount of revenue, and uh, it was it was literally just a piece of paper with strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, right? It, it was literally a SWOT analysis as to what the company wants to do, um, and 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 that's to know where they're at now uh, is is. A proud moment, and and you know I hope I hope they sort of uh, go on to achieve bigger things. So, those were two examples that sort of come to mind. Yeah.
0: So this is my question: Like, what was the first company you invested in?
1: Uh yeah, great question. Um, so the first company that I invested in was a uh, company called Celsius, okay. uh, which is um essentially a SaaS platform for um gold chain uh, in India. Now the problem is the problem statement is such that uh, you know the gold chain ecosystem for fruits and vegetables or even pharma etc from state to state is broken in the country right um, you know we we roughly lose 70% of the produce on on the way uh, or mid mile right and here comes the platform which uh, sort of strives to sort of create a a, a marketplace for fulfillment um to satisfy Consumer demand or medical demand or even cross border demand. And I felt that, uh, you know, this is a problem that I personally had read about during COVID, right? That, uh, you know, a lot of the vaccines today, uh, or at least during COVID, uh, required a certain amount of temperature to travel from one place to the other. Um, And it really exposed India's lack of cold chain uh, uh, infrastructure, right? And I'm talking mid mile uh, from warehouse to a second warehouse or a third warehouse to then the hospital to the consumer right yes. um nobody thinks of mid mile in that area where uh, vaccines are critical medication is critical food is critical uh, for a lot of people to survive and and and, and that was kind of my personal uh, uh, sort of uh, motivation to sort of back a company like that right and um so so I, I put in a very small check um in i would say 2021 that was my first <laughs> ever uh, Angel investment. Yeah, but yeah. you
0: did it for a greater cause and that's amazing. What are some factors that might make a startup particularly attractive to the angel investor?
1: I'd say you really can't go wrong if you're focusing on uh business fundamentals, right? Uh, if you're if you're a if you're a startup which is prioritizing your PL or profit and loss statement, um you're going places, right? And I think what truly makes the earliest of investors excited about your opportunities is how how disruptive the problem is uh, where you're at today and, and how quickly you can achieve what you're looking to achieve uh, in that given time frame right and I, I think a lot of lot of a lot of the things that I said previously uh, sort of still stand true right angel investors today are have matured into uh, uh, you know their own sort of class right and uh, angel investment or angel investors have at least personally I think <laughs> A lot of it is now democratized, right? Uh, There's a lot of founders out there, and there's no dearth of capital when it comes to a certain uh, angel investor that can help you out with, uh, you know, your first check. Um, I'd actually flip the question, right? Uh, What you know, probably startups should think about what angel investors can bring to the table. I say this because I do find a lot of value where. Uh, angel investors themselves bring in that very initial network or understanding or know-how, right? Oftentimes these angel investors end up becoming uh, founding team members or um, uh, they sort of have a close relationship with the founders through and through, right? Um, and, and this could be family, this could be friends, this could be anybody who's, again, uh, in 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 the ecosystem that you're looking to solve your problem in. Um, so yeah, I think honestly, the, the tides turn. I, I don't think angel investors should, uh, you know, I, I think the question is really for startups to uh, figure out what angel investors bring to the table. Because like I said, there's no dearth of capital for uh, for that level of money anymore.
0: There was this controversial topic that was going on. So angel investors are too focused on short-term profit and they did not contribute on long-term success of the startup. So what do you want to say about it?
1: Okay, so... <laughs> I think um, this is, it may have been the case, uh, you know, four or five years ago. But I think, like I said, right, the tide has truly turned. Um, so the way to look at it is that if you're like an early angel investor who's just looking to start out, um, and, if, and if you've carved out a certain amount of capital that you want to spend, uh, the way to look at it is um, that amount of money, let's say, just for math's sake, let's say $100, right? That $100 sitting in a bank could earn you a certain amount of yield. That money deposited into mutual funds can earn you a certain amount of yield versus X versus Y versus Z instrument, right? Yeah. Now, um, ancient investments take the biggest risk when it comes to startups, right? Because, you know, you have to really understand that uh, nine out of ten uh, startups, yeah. uh, ventures, venture funded startups will fail. And and they may fail 10 days after you've invested in them, right? Uh, so there is a lot of risk that angel investors or early stage investors bear. At the same time, um, because you're coming in so early, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward, right? right. Um, so oftentimes, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it's, it's sort of like a scale that one needs to sort of look at, it, right? It's not a function of whether, you know, you invested in me at, uh, a certain valuation you've taken an exit two rounds later in fact i would actually uh, encourage founders to to do that so that their capital gets a little bit more free you have more uh, ability to raise funds from you know a different set of folks uh, a different pedigree of folks right and and i don't particularly think that uh, you know it's it's just that they're they're looking for a quick buck right if if and trust me if if angel investors out there Uh, who are uh, sort of adopting this philosophy will not go too far, right? Because um, that that methodology just doesn't apply. Uh, It just doesn't work over a long period of time. Um, So, uh, you know, either it's good riddance from the startup perspective or, um, or it's, again, like I said, a proportion, a scale, right? Bigger the risk, bigger the reward yeah,
0: so how do angel investor actually find a startup? So is it like through their networks that they introduce to them or how does that work?
1: Right. Um, so the easiest thing for or the easiest way for anybody to even start off as an angel investor to sort of invest in companies is you know join a bunch of syndicates, right? Uh, syndicates, uh, uh, angel syndicates have a tremendous amount of deal flow. Um, you know, there's popular platforms like, Angelist or uh, or others that, uh, you know, enable angel investments as a platform, right? Um, if you're sort of working in a corporate ecosystem, you'll always come across people that are looking for your expertise and your capital, right? Yeah. Uh, so while it may be a function of personal network or, or personal family or personal friends, um, you can also sort of force your way through angel syndicates um, you know, be a valuable member of of those syndicates and and try and invest in their deals, right? Because they're obviously uh, you know coming in with curated uh, startups to invest in, um, so they're always looking to pull in their money. At least that's the that's the general sort of how business model works, right? That they're taking money from a bunch of angel investors and and then you'll have one person on on your cap table, right? Or or one entity on your cap table, and that's that joint syndicate that ends up taking it. Um, Another way is uh, sort of a long drawn way. You can invest in funds if you have uh, uh, you know, the potential to and, and the capacity to, um, but again, uh, you're investing in funds and not startups. So that's a slightly different um, sort of ball game, um, but not completely unheard of, yeah.
0: So I have another controversial question. So there is mm-hmm. a saying that angel investors are only interested in like the wealthy customer rather than those that addressing the social or the environmental problem. but I don't drag you in because whatever the investments <laughs> you have done so far is out of question just on the environmental problems and social costs. but this is like other other investors like the general question. so what do you think about that criticism?
1: yeah no i think i think i think this uh, it's kind of misconstrued right that you know as as vc funded startups there may be a tendency to uh, it's a very popular sort of business model to go niche and then to go mass right um so it's possible that the startup is initially focusing on a certain amount of people that can actually pay for what they're building and then once they have a lot of revenue, they can then go mass, right? Yeah. So it's possible that in this trajectory of when startups are prioritizing high-value clients or high AOV uh, clients uh, or customers, um, it, it may be construed as to say that your solution is too niche. Uh, why, you know, why are you only focusing on you know these players that can really pay for you, right? Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it takes a while for startups to reach uh, the general mass, right? And that's a, it's a solid three to five year timeline before that ends up happening, right? And in that point of time, they have to prioritize a certain customer pipeline or a certain uh, a high value paying customer, which is able to sort of give them a lot of money, right? At the end of the day, uh, you kind of have to prioritize your PL and and you kind of have to prioritize your cash flows, etc. And It is possible. Uh, You know, it also does a lot of things for the startup itself, because by proving that they're able to solve for niche uh, uh, sort of sub-segments or sub-solutions, they can figure out how to go mass, right? Uh, Again, it's just one way of looking at things. A lot of startups go mass first and then go niche. It really really depends on the sector, really depends on the company, what the product is, what the service is, what the software is. Um, But it may be construed that in this process, uh, you know, that statement around, you know, you're only focusing on wealthy clients uh, is, is sort of put across, right? But I mean, they're the only ones paying for it. So uh, it's like a cash twenty two, too, right? In some ways.
0: So we're almost at the end. What's your view on your entire journey? And is there some advice you want to give to the listeners out there?
1: On my journey, I think... <laughs> I think there's a still a long way to go. Yeah, uh, like I you said. you have I think, done so yeah.
0: much within this short time, and yes, you do have a very, very long way to go. But this is huge within this particular amount of time, so your advices will be valuable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll try my best. I think uh, you know, my my. I mean, personally, I think uh, you know, as as a VC or or just somebody in floating around in this ecosystem. Um, you kind of have to adopt a mindset to learn and relearn and unlearn every day, right? Um, I have been wrong on countless occasions, and I'm—you kind of have to adopt a mindset where it's okay to be wrong. In fact, you kind of look forward to being proven wrong, right? So that uh, you know you're able to capitalize on on different insights and different learnings, right? Um, uh, what's fascinating about uh, the last two to three years of venture uh, capital is that we've gone through a recession and then, you know, uh, we're in a position where, uh, you know, uh, only only the most resilient companies sort of stand through and, and will pull through. And um, I, I I genuinely just think that uh, one has to be wary. And, and these are experiences that, you know, personally, you're, you have to take advantage of. Right. Yeah. Um, my advice to uh, a few sets of stakeholders would be that um, if you're a startup founder, um, yes, there's a lot of uncertainty. Yes, there's a lot of uh, uh, noise really um, uh, going around. Um, my only advice would be to again um, focus on business fundamentals. To suggest uh, that you know your startup should you should make sure that you're uh, living another living to see another day today. Um, so that you're able to sort of reap benefits later on. My advice to anybody who's looking to break into venture capital would be uh, to go systemic, uh, to go really, really, uh, you know, create an Excel sheet if you have to, right? Um, and and really figure out what is it uh, that you bring to the table as uh, an analyst or an associate or an investment manager. Or if you're looking to start up, start your own fund, uh, you know, there's there's a variety of ways to go about that as well. Um, So, yeah, again, uh, I I guess that's just my two cents on startups or or, um, those looking to break into this ecosystem.
0: So this is a final question that I ask every guest on the show. What is your view on passion and failure?
1: Passion and failure. I think in order to utilize failure, you need passion to sort of pull you through. right? And and I guess... um, uh, you know, that's certainly in a mindset that uh, will will take you far. Um, if you're super passionate about it, a failure shouldn't uh, deter you from that particular goal. It's kind of how I uh, would would sort of look at it. Uh, I don't have any profound philosophical insights here, but um, I, I do think that uh, there is there is a world where both of them can coexist and coexist happily, right? And, and I, I don't think failure is a bad thing. I think failure gets a bad rep. Uh, uh you know failure is something that we should all look forward to um because it gives us all an opportunity to be better um and and relearn unlearn and and to go on to achieve greater things if everything was easy if everything was a success um we all know right it, it just wouldn't work right it would be boring right so yeah that's pretty much it for me
0: um that's all we are at the end of the show first of all i want to thank you so much for accepting the invitation to be on the show it's I'm, I'm very glad to have this to have the session especially and your final pieces of advice were truly remarkable and i think people should listen to it people who are trying to jump into the investment sector are people who i mean the startups who are willing to get an investment should also listen to the startup and it's pretty good that I haven't seen much of investor posting like if you have a startup that's good for investment here is my email just email me that was pretty insane on the on the LinkedIn page I literally loved that part because I always ask my guests okay how can people reach out to you but for you it was clearly open out there and anybody who's willing can reach out to you I feel you have given such an open space to everyone and you're willing to invest in a lot of social and environmental cost related startup that's that's so so good for you and so thank you
1: thanks thanks pj thanks for having me
0: i know i'm saying this at the end of all the episode that each and every episode contains so much value in general but it's true it contains so much value in general as we progress through the episode thank you so much for all your love and support i'm looking forward for future episode. So if you're someone new to the podcast, please do subscribe to the podcast so that you will get all the podcast episodes that I publish right on your phone or your laptop or any device that you have. Okay, you'll get it over there. That's fine. So until then, it's your host BJ and you're listening to Entrepreneur Season 2.